Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, well, you can grab a Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. In case you use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 1015. I appreciated Jimmy Neal filling in for me last week after being at preteen camp, but I'm glad uh, to be back getting into Peter's first letter with you this morning. Uh, in case you haven't been with us, Peter has written this letter to a group of churches throughout the ancient region of Asia Minor who are struggling under the weight of persecution because of their faith in Jesus on top of all of the normal difficulties and sufferings that come uh, in this life. And in this letter, he is encouraging them on, on how to endure that, and he's also calling them to live out their role as God's people in the world. And this morning, uh, Peter's going to explain how Christians should conduct themselves in the workplace. Now, before we begin, I'm, I'm always conscious of when we have a, a passage that speaks to a particular group of people, that there are inevitably going to be people here who are not in that particular group of people. And, and so, if that's you, I want to encourage you to pay attention anyway, uh, because this is still important for you to know. Perhaps you are younger and you aren't working yet. Well, it's still important for you to understand this so that you have a framework for understanding what the Lord expects of you when you do work. Or perhaps you're, you're already retired and you don't plan to work another day in your entire life. It's still important for you to understand this uh, because as the Lord gives you opportunities to disciple younger believers, you need to have a framework for what the Lord expects of us so that you can point them in the right direction. All right, so Make no mistake, every passage of Scripture is for every believer, even if, even if it isn't directly related to us. And so having said that, let's see what Peter has to say as we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we pick up in verse 18. He writes, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And so last time, Peter began to explain uh, what it looks like for us, the, the ways that we are called to live our lives as God's new covenant people. Uh, we saw that we should fight against the sinful impulses in our heart, that we should seek to live our lives honorably in, in uh, the sight of the watching world. And Peter's point is that while we may be rejected by the world now, uh, if, if we live godly lives consistently, then on the day of judgment, the world will have reason to glorify God because of us. And the first way we saw to do this in verses 11 through 17 was by submitting to our governing authorities. And now as we pick up again here in verse 18, Peter turns to the next way that we should live honorably in the sight of the world as he addresses the relationship between servants or slaves and masters. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, first of, all, first of all, I think we need to take a moment to distinguish 
uh, between slavery in ancient Rome and slavery as it existed and took place uh, in, in the way that we think of it, uh, how it happened here in America during the 17th through 19th centuries, because when we hear the word slave, that's almost inevitably what we think about. But those things are not the same thing, and that's not what Peter is talking about here. And so we don't have time to do a, a deep dive into all of the details, entire books uh, have been written on it, but I do think it's worth establishing that ancient slavery in the Roman Empire was much more complex uh, than what was practiced in the early centuries of America. And so at any particular point in time during the Roman uh, Empire, around 15% of the population would have been in slavery. And that slavery could include people who were captured as prisoners of war and were given a sentence of service rather than being executed. Uh, it could in include people who uh, went into slavery willingly as a way to pay off a debt or even to climb the social ladder by networking with a prominent family in a given location. Uh, Roman slaves could have important roles like serving as doctors or educators or accountants. Uh, generally, slavery uh, in the Roman Empire was limited to a certain period of time, or at the very least, slaves had the opportunity to earn their freedom, uh, even gaining their Roman citizenship at times. And, and all of this is in stark contrast to the Atlantic slave trade, in which uh, certain people were brought forcibly to our country based on their race and given a life sentence of backbreaking work for no good reason. Uh, in fact, the, the actions of the Atlantic slave trade are clearly condemned by the Bible as sin uh, in, in passages like Exodus 21.16 and 1 Timothy 1.10. And so uh, we need to make sure that we distinguish what Peter is talking about and what Peter is not talking about. Now, having said all that, we shouldn't think that Roman slavery uh, was necessarily a cakewalk or, or that it was fun. It most certainly was not. Uh, slaves were often looked down on by the rest of society. Uh, they did not have legal rights, which left them vulnerable to abuse by their masters if they decided to treat them cruelly, which uh, certainly sometimes they did, inhumanely even. Uh, the, the point that, that we need to establish up front is that while there, there were definitely overlaps between the two institutions of slavery, uh, what Peter is talking about, Roman slavery on the whole, was much more comparable to the modern relationship between an employee and their employer. And that's the way that we're going to consider it as we try to apply the, the, the point of the passage to our lives today. The question is, is who is in authority over me at my place of work? And so last time Peter was talking about the importance of Christians being good citizens, and now in this passage he's concerned that Christians be good employees. And so Peter calls servants to be subject to or submissive to their masters. And again, the idea of submission involves yielding to another person despite disagreeing with them. Right? It's not submission if you agree, that's agreement. Right? The, the, the concept of submission implies that I disagree with you, but, but I'm going to follow your lead rather than insisting on my way. And, and it's important uh, for us to see here that Peter expects this of us, not just for masters who are good and gentle, but also those he describes as being unjust. And the word unjust can include anything from being uh, unreasonable and foolish all the way to being uh, outright wicked. Right? And so the, the point is that we are to submit even if our boss is a bad boss. And that's really where the rub comes in, right? 
That, that's what makes it difficult. It's, it's relatively easy to follow the leadership of someone who is respectable. Right? We may disagree on something, but as long as I trust you, and generally speaking, I can, I can yield and follow your lead. Right? But when that's not the case, it becomes a lot more difficult. Right? If, if your character or your competency is lacking, or if you intentionally choose to treat me uh, poorly, then it becomes a lot more difficult for me to just take orders without any type of resistance. Now, just as we discussed last time with our relationship to the governing authorities, there are uh, some very real challenges to, to understanding how the principles of this text apply to our context today. Uh, for example, in the ancient world, if, if you're a slave, you can't really decide that you're going to get up and go be a slave for someone else. Right? By, by definition, you're pretty much stuck where you are. But in the modern world, generally speaking, if we're truly unhappy with a particular work environment, we have the opportunity to change jobs and go somewhere else. Uh, a slave in the ancient world could be beaten or perhaps even killed for disobedience. But today we have laws against abusive uh, behavior in the workplace. And so just as we saw a couple of weeks ago, we have it much better than most of our brothers and sisters across the span of human history have had it. And yet... I think we still struggle with this concept just as much, if not more, than they did. Right? Our, our rights and our freedoms as Americans are a blessing, to be sure. But the flip side of them is that sometimes they can create temptations for us to feel justified in responding to people or situations in ways that might be okay legally, but not necessarily okay spiritually. Right? As Americans, we are born and bred self-determiners. And so the idea of, of, of submitting to someone who is telling us to do something we don't want to do, especially if, it, if it's a, someone who's a bad boss, that just eats us up. Right? This is not something that comes naturally to us. And so fortunately, Peter is going to give us a couple of reasons to do this, uh, which we'll see as we pick up again, beginning in verse 19. He says, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And so as we pick up again here in verse 19, Peter gives us the first reason that we should submit ourselves even to bad bosses. When he says, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures suffer, or sorrows while suffering unjustly. All right, and so this verse pictures us working hard, doing our best, being respectful, and yet experiencing hardship anyway because of the injustice or the incompetence of our supervisor. All right, and the first thing that we need to see here is, is the key to persevering in submission in the face of suffering, and that's that we must be mindful of God. Right? Peter refers to us being mindful of God. What does that mean? Well, in one sense, I think that it, it means that we do this simply because God tells us to. Right? But on, on a deeper level, uh, you may remember if you were here during our series through Colossians, Paul's words in chapter 3 of his letter to them, where, where he says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. All right, so, so Paul echoes Peter's instructions here, but he actually takes it a step further when he reveals that on, in our jobs, our work is an act of worship to the Lord. In the same way that we said a couple of weeks ago that to submit to governing authorities is ultimately to submit to God, because God has placed them there, in the same way to work hard for our employers is to work hard for the Lord. And I think that this is super helpful in times where we are tempted uh, or we find it difficult to do our jobs respectfully. We remember that at the end of the day, we're not actually doing this for our bad boss, we're doing it for the Lord. And if, if it's something that the Lord wants me to do, that makes it a much easier task. All right, I'm doing this because Jesus wants me to. And so your, your supervisor may be a bum, right? but Jesus is a perfect master. And, and if he calls us to do this, then I can work hard for my earthly master out of love for Jesus because he wants me to. Even when I have no motivation to work hard for my earthly boss, I have great motivation to work hard for Jesus. And then the second thing for us to see is the fact that Peter twice says that our submission in the face of mistreatment is a gracious thing in God's sight. And that, that phrase means that in doing this, we find favor with God. This is something that God sees as commendable and something that he will reward us for. And Peter makes it clear in verse 20 that not all difficulty is created equal, right? He says that if things are hard at work because we aren't taking care of our business, then that's something else entirely. That's not what he's talking about, right? If you're constantly late or, or you're lazy or you do poor quality work, then you should expect to be treated poorly at work. You don't get any points for that. But assuming that we're doing our jobs well, then if we have management that consistently rewards other people instead of us, or that for whatever reason intentionally make things difficult for us, or just treats us rudely, then as we continue to respectfully work hard, the Lord sees that. He sees that, and he will reward us in his time. Now, this is also a good time to remember what we said a couple of weeks ago, that submission to any human authority is never absolute, and our highest allegiance is always to the Lord. And so if an employer expects us to do something or not to do something that would require us to, to disobey a clear commandment of God, then we are right to refuse, right? We always have to obey God rather than men. And in fact, this is another way that we might experience difficulty at work despite doing what's right. right anytime I think about this, one of the, the first examples that I think of is Rebecca's dad, Joe. Uh, Joe, when, when Rebecca was in high school, he was working as an occupational therapist at a, at a clinic in Arlington, and he discovered at one point Uh, that they were double billing and and intentionally taking advantage of some of their elderly patients because they could get away with it. And so Joe brought that to his supervisor and was was basically told that he needed to mind his own business, that this this did not concern him. And so uh, obviously that wasn't an option. These people are stealing. This is objectively wrong. And Joe knew that he couldn't participate in that. So he filed a formal complaint against his company, and he was promptly fired, right? And so Rebecca is about to graduate high school and go to college, 
uh, Patricia had, had recently been diagnosed with cancer. This was not the time to not have a job. And yet, Joe rightly uh, chose to obey God rather than men, do the right thing, even though it meant that he suffered for it. Of course, the Lord provided for them during that season, and I expect that there will be additional rewards for his faithfulness on the last day. And so as we keep in mind that our work is an act of worship to the Lord, then, then as we are respectful and work hard despite facing hardship on the job, it is a gracious thing in God's sight. Right? If, if we suffer because we're, we're bad employees, that's one thing. Right? But if we're treated poorly despite doing what we're supposed to do, or even because we're doing what we're supposed to do, then church God sees that, and he will reward our faithfulness. Now Peter's going to move on to give us the second reason to persevere as we pick up again in verse 21. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so as we pick up again in verse 25, Peter gives us the second reason why we should persevere in the midst of hardship, and that's because we've been called to it. He says, for to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And so as Christians, we need to understand that suffering for doing the right thing is, is, is something that we are expected to do. Right? This, is, this is a calling that we have, a responsibility that we've been given by the Lord. And as always, our example is Jesus. Right? Peter reminds us that Jesus suffered for us. And in doing so, he left us an example to follow. And that, that word example refers to a stencil that was used in the ancient world to help children uh, learn how to write their letters. So you would have a, a perfect example placed in front of them, and then as they traced over that example, they learned how to properly write their letters. And in a similar way, the life and ministry of Jesus is our example of how to live. As we read about him, we find a model for our own lives. In verse 22, Peter gives us Jesus' resume. He says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Right? Jesus was the only morally perfect person in all of human history. He was the only person in all of human history who truly did not deserve to experience suffering. And yet he did. Of course, as we went through the, the story of Luke, we saw that. But in verse 23, Peter reminds us that when people spoke hurtfully against him, he didn't return fire. When people intentionally made his life more difficult, he didn't lash out against them or, or threaten them with divine judgment, although he could have. And you might ask, how was Jesus able to do that? Well, in a certain sense, he also was mindful of God. Peter says that he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
right? Jesus trusted the Father. And he, he lived with the confidence that God would take care of him and that in the end, God would make all things right. right? On the last day, God will settle all the scores throughout all of human history and every instance of injustice will be rectified. And we need to have that same perspective as we navigate suffering in our own lives. Right? We don't have to seek justice for ourselves in this life. We can trust that God is going to take care of it for us in his time. Jesus in no way deserved to suffer, and yet he chose to. And and not just to suffer a little bit, but to suffer the worst injustice imaginable in taking upon himself the punishment that you and I deserve to receive for our sin. Right? And, then, and, and Peter reminds us in verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And the reference to the cross as a, a tree reminds us of Deuteronomy chapter 21, where, where the Lord writes that anyone who is executed by being hung on a tree is to be considered cursed by God. And Jesus experienced the curse of God so that we did not have to so that we can be forgiven of our sin by turning from it and by trusting in what Jesus has done to save us. And then in the second half of verses 24 through 25, Peter alludes to the the great messianic prophecy of, of Isaiah 53. He writes, By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer, of your souls. For, for centuries, God's people who constantly uh, roamed and, and strayed from him like sheep had been waiting for the suffering servant who would come and sacrifice himself for the sins of the people to restore their relationship to God and then lead them forward as a shepherd does. And, and, and he finally came in the person of Jesus. As he was tortured and put to death on the cross, Jesus suffered in our place. And church, the bottom line is that if Jesus was willing to do that for us, then we really have no excuse. Right? There, is, there is no instance of, of injustice that we will ever face that is greater than what Jesus willingly endured for our benefit. And if we want to follow him, then we have to be prepared to follow him. And so in our passage this morning, Peter explains that believers should exercise proper submission to their employers. In the same way that God has given human governments authority over us, he expects us to to recognize and acknowledge the the rightful authority of those we work for. We are to respectfully submit to our employers even when we are mistreated despite our best efforts, and even when we are mistreated for doing the right thing out of devotion to the Lord. And the good news is that we can do this because we know that the Lord sees and and will reward us for our faithfulness and because we are ultimately following the example of what Jesus has already done for us. And so so maybe your boss is consistently rude to you, or, or perhaps they have unrealistic expectations and they never express appreciation for everything that you do. Or maybe they're completely incompetent and you know good and well you could do their job better than they do. For any number of reasons, perhaps working with your supervisor feels like torture. Well, there's no doubt that can be incredibly frustrating. And there can be a temptation to become bitter 
or, or to check out mentally or, or to do the minimum amount of work possible or even to actively work against them. But Peter says that we are to submit to them. In other words, Christians should be the very best employees. And of course, this, this is all going somewhere. We're not there yet, but Peter expects Christians to stand out in the midst of the rest of society in such a way that they are noticed and that they draw attention to the gospel, which is what makes them who they are. Now, now just quickly, while, while other parts of the New Testament address masters as well, we notice that, that Peter does not hear. And I think it's, it's totally possible in light of what we've already established about his first readers that there, there probably weren't any of these people who were in positions of authority. But for our purposes, again, just quickly, we can take a moment just to say that if you are in a supervisory position at your place of work with, with people under your authority, be a good leader, right? Be, be someone who treats your employees fairly. Try to make coming to work the best experience that it possibly can be for your team. Uh, but, but to summarize, when it comes to uh, our work, our work should be an expression of worship to the Lord. When it comes to our, our bosses, we don't necessarily have to like them. Uh, we don't need to compromise our faith for them. We don't even have to work for them indefinitely. Uh, but while we do work for them, for however long, we need to treat them respectfully and we need to do our very best work as a reflection of Jesus to the watching world. So may the Lord use us at our places of work to draw attention to the hope that we have been given through the gospel. Let's pray together.